Hello, I'm Pommy Harmer and you're listening to the podcast series Follow the Sun. Joined with me in the studio is Marion Mente, author of this work, in which she presents the zodiac signs as a story. Hello, Marion. Hi, Pommy. Well, we've arrived in Pisces, the 12th sign. And while this might be the end of Aries' journey through the signs, it's not quite the end of his adventure, is it? <laughs> no. Much of the story comes to its conclusion here. However, following his encounter with the Pisces in their grotto comes another chapter where, with the help of Aquarius and the Pisces, he ventures further towards the horizon. And this chapter will be featured in the next and final podcast in the series, which um, you can call the 13th moon, but the, the chapter title is actually New Beginnings. Okay, so we still have one more to go before the finale. But before you read the penultimate chapter, the one about Pisces, first tell us about them and their watery world. Okay, now although Pisces bears the symbol of two fish swimming in opposite directions, I've taken license to make the Pisces into mermaids because Piscean energy is overtly romantic and mermaids have a romance of their own. Yeah, they do. <clears throat> One is called Pisona and the other is called Picella. Aha. Okay, so two names. Now, like Sagittarius, Pisces is a domain of Jupiter and also of Neptune, the planet associated with formlessness and gases, with imagery, spirituality and drugs, and the transcendence of the material, as I explained in the last podcast. The energy of Pisces is yin and its element is water. It begins mid-February until mid-March and it has a mutable quality. It, in fact, it's most mutable because it's yin and water and mutable as well. It's very fluid, as its sign suggests. It's associated with compassion and sacrifice, imagination and the otherworldly. Also with the feet, the liver and the circulation of blood to the extremities. When it's expressed positively, this energy is highly intuitive and interpretive. It's compassionate, sensitive, imaginative, dreamy and artistic and poetical. But when negative, it can be elusive and scatterbrained, impractical and timid, uh, over-impressionable, sometimes self-pitying and deceitful and escapist and in extremes prone to addiction. So Pisces is the polar opposite of Virgo and much of the Piscean characteristics come into play to incur the loss of the Black Pearl in the first place. Uh, the ocean is the wider world and true home of the Pisces, hence Picella fading, being confined, missing the freedom of the sea. I'll admit that this chapter is a bit sort of cheesily romantic, but again, we are in the realm of Pisces. And I will also stress here that we're talking about these energies in abstract, not the personal, you know, there's a Pisces, Aries in all of us, a Pisces in all of us, we're born under the whole system. I just want to say that again. Having mentioned addiction, I don't want all Pisces going away thinking, oh God, am I an addict? But you know, that is, if you've got Neptune or Pisces elements strongly in your chart, that could be a factor. Okay, thank you. So let's have a quick recap of where Aries has been, and he's been on quite a journey. The ram has travelled through 11 realms, gathering the qualities of each as he passes through and maturing on his journey. He's learnt of a wicked shrike in Gemini's realm and the existence of a black pearl he believes is with cancer. He's seen his friend Leo attacked by Scorpio's serpent. He's learnt about the collective roles and their celebration of light as he journeys with Libra, 
also about the transforming fire and the firebright gems necessary for the continuing cycle of life. He foolishly ventures into Scorpio's labyrinth where memories of his lost realm surfaced. Scorpio and Libra believe Ares has not survived in the labyrinth, but Scorpio is still searching for the black pearl, which may have been lost there. Ares was rescued by Sagittarius and witnessed the splendour of the peaks and the northern lights. Sag takes him to Capricorn to recover from his ordeals and Capricorn shows him how to monitor and record the cycles of the lights in the night sky. She also enlightens him about the importance of the Black Pearl and how it must be returned to the Pisces before the 13th moon wanes. But he departs her role suddenly during a race in the snow and arrives in Aquarius realm where he discusses Aquarius' innovations, especially his experiments with explosives. But he's drawn to leave Aquarius' realm by the sound of a sad song drifting upriver from the sea. As he reached the wide sandy beach, a wintry sun peeped through the clouds and a light breeze cooled his face. The tide was out and the ocean stretched away in the distance. The river flowed into a channel around one side of a craggy rock-like isle and when the tide flowed in again it would surround the rock, isolating it from the mainland. But now he could walk across the damp undulating sands and onto the little isle with ease. The singing had stopped. The only sounds were the lapping of the waves and seabirds calling from their nests dotted around the cliff face. A little exploration along the grassy cliff top brought him over a lagoon, sheltering in a west-facing bay. He climbed down a ladder of rocky steps to the pebbled beach and saw a honeycomb of caves reaching under the isle itself. He guessed he was near to the grotto of the Pisces. Curiosity lured him to wade into one of the hollows, though he was anxious about what he may find. Shoals of brightly coloured fish darted through and around his ankles, and while swift to avoid his footfalls, they unnerved him a little, unsteadied his tread. Then he saw her. She was sitting on a rock inside the entrance to the grotto, her long fish tail dangling in the shallows. Her face and upper body were turned slightly away, hidden behind tresses of dark hair which hung down to her waist. She was sobbing, though with little sound now. Ares was more disconcerted, not sure whether to go forward or retreat, but, sensing his presence, she turned to face him. Startled by the stranger, she quickly slipped from the rock with a cry of alarm and hid behind it. "'Stay!' he called. "'disarmed by her fright. It, "'It's just I, I heard singing. "'Such a sad song.' "'Her head barely peeped over the rock. "'Who are you?' she trembled, still afraid. "'You must be the Pisces,' he answered, "'keeping his voice as low as he could. "'He hadn't meant to frighten her. "'I am Pisona, but who... "'The song, was that you?' "'She nodded gently.' My farewell to Pisella, my sister. She is fading. Our bond is releasing her. She broke into sobs again. 
And very soon now, she will be gone. And it's all my fault. All my fault. She wailed, clasping at the long twine which stemmed from her navel and trailed into the water. Ares slowly paddled around the rock to face her. He saw a beautiful white pearl, a twin to the black gem, set over the root of the twine. Where is your sister? His tone was concerned. Still weeping, she pointed to the large chamber beyond the entrance. Here there was a high-domed roof which rose out to the top of the aisle itself. Around the dome there was a circle of twelve arched windows, each covered by coloured glass, depicting the realms and their sovereigns, replicas of the ornate tapestries he had seen in Scorpio's realm. On the sandy bed of the pool were many different shaped seashells and coloured crystals, similar to the scene in Cancer's cavern. With some relief he noticed that here there were no shoals of small fish darting to and fro to further distract him. As he waded into the larger chamber, the water deepened, covering his shoulders so he had to swim. Sunlight spilled through the arch windows, creating a kaleidoscope of coloured shapes that reflected off the surface of the water and rippled gently around the walls in rhythm with his strokes. He was pleasantly surprised to find it comfortably warm and, like in the underground lake in the labyrinth, he felt the same strange sensation that he was being drawn through the water towards the prostrate form in the centre of the pool. Picella lay unnaturally still, hands folded across her chest. Her long, fair hair floated in tendrils around her pale countenance. Her fishtail was opaque and lacklustre. There was an indentation at her navel where the black pearl should be. The connecting bond to her sister was hanging by a thread. As the kaleidoscope of colours gently rippled over her, she appeared almost transparent, as though literally fading from view. She was in a deep coma when Ares had entered the pool, and she'd almost transcended into lifelessness. But once he submerged to swim... A shockwave pierced the void of her catatonic state, rousing her waning senses. Her pulse began to quicken. Consciousness slowly, slowly drifted back from the dark as instinct recognised the magnetic signal of her pearl, now a pulsating white line streaming across the blackness behind her closed lids. Throughout his ordeal in the labyrinth, Cancer's beautifully crafted pouch had clung with tenacity to the remaining curls at Ares' throat, where the crab had skilfully placed it. It was so well camouflaged, and with its ties burned away, neither Sag nor Capricorn could have seen it without the knowledge to look. With his approach towards this sister, its signal strengthened. Picella's inner self willed her to answer its call, to reclaim her life and be at one with the ocean again. But she had fallen too deeply. She could not wake. She must wake. Please awake. He swam in close. He wanted to revive her, to tell her they'd found her pearl. 
but suddenly Pisona swam up behind him and viciously grabbed the collar of his coat, thwacking at him with her tail, trying to pull him back. Don't touch her! Don't touch her! she screeched. Who are you? What do you want? He jerked himself away, ripping the neck of his coat apart. I'm Ares, he protested hotly, trying desperately not to be cross and surprised that one so seemingly timid could display such strength and aggression. I bring good news about the Black Pearl, he said angrily. Good news? Pisona stopped thrashing and stared at him open-mouthed. She'd come to accept that it would never be found. He looked into her eyes. They were a lovely, deep violet blue, and seeing the grief there, all anger left him. He forgave her desperate outburst and attack. He could feel her pain, sense it acutely as if it was his own. In the realm of Pisces, he was coming to know compassion. It's safe, believe me, he assured her. It is with cancer. She lives on an island, in a cavern, like this. Again he was distracted by the moving patterns of light around him, his thoughts and feelings running amok. Did nothing remain stable in this realm? Pisona knew of both Ares' realm and of Cancer, and would have felt more comforted if she wasn't so puzzled by him being so far from his realm, but also by his revelation. She thought she could feel a slight current in the water, as though the twin of her pearl was close, but how could that be if Ares was telling the truth about it being with cancer? In a state of much confusion and doubt, she retreated towards the entrance, imploring him to follow. Leave Pisella in peace, please, come away. Tell me everything, all you... Shh! I think Pisella is aware, he whispered. Pisona turned back. Aware? At this eleventh hour? Was it possible? She held her breath. In the commotion, one of Pisella's hands had slipped from her breast into the water, and now it brushed feebly yet deliberately against Ares. He turned towards the dying sister, speaking softly into her ear. I have been near death myself and know how weak you must feel. If you can hear me, know that your pearl is safe. It will be with you soon, I promise. Just hold on. As he was speaking, she slowly opened her large, blue-green eyes. She turned to gaze at him, yet seemed to look through him and beyond him. He was enchanted, but felt a deep sadness. She seemed so frail, he doubted she would survive long enough for the pearl to be brought the distance from Cancer's realm. She had not heard him. His words had sounded muffled and faint but she now knew where her pearl lay hidden. Her lips parted to speak, but she barely breathed. Still she held his gaze. The sensing pulse was stronger now, throbbing, drawing her hand towards it. Her fingers found the black curls at his throat, the remnants of his fleece, and as she gently parted the patch of matted tangles, the life-saving gem surrendered to her grasp. Thank you. Oh, thank you, she whispered, lifting her black pearl free. Ecstasy was the only word that could describe the Pisces' joy. With the pearl once more placed securely in her navel, 
Pysella instantly regained a little strength and colour. Pysona threw off her mantle of guilt, though her sister had long since forgiven her, and their bond was again secure. Ares was equally bowled over to have been the bearer of the gem, although totally baffled why Cancer had secretly entrusted him with it. Such mysteries are way beyond me, he thought, glad to be reconciled that some mysteries will ever remain. The Pisces escorted him onto a sandbank within the grotto. It was full of clutter, old seashells, combs, mirrors, sponges, tangled strings of little pearls and other stones, together with a discarded sundial and an upended, half-buried telescope. Pisona cleared a space for him to sit, while Pisella remained relaxing and recuperating in the water. He told them only that he'd been travelling across the realms and explained why he thought the pearl was simply a gift from the Gemini to Cancer. He then mentioned that he had first heard of their plight from Capricorn and of his suspicions that the Shrike must have stolen the pearl and then hidden it in the forest where the Gemini had found it. But how did you come to lose it? Naturally he was curious. Pisona wiggled her tail in the water and lowered her eyes. We were caused to quarrel badly, and I took it from Pisella while she was sleeping. I hid it among the rocks around the lagoon so she wouldn't be able to sense it and find it. But when I went to retrieve it, to give it back, it was gone. I thought I'd misplaced it and kept searching, but it was nowhere to be found. She sighed softly. Well, it's obvious. The Shrike must have found it, and understanding its worth, quickly made off with it. Evil creature. It spoke of having a realm of its own. Wing realm. But I think that was a lie. I think it wanted to claim your realm and was waiting for you. Well, you know, until you had gone. He now felt quite sure that this was the case. The Shrike. Hmm, yes, I suppose so. She seemed a little vague, distracted, as though she wasn't quite telling him all, and then inquired, Did you tell Aquarius of your suspicions about the Shrike? I mean, did he agree, or have anything to add? He said Aquarius firmly agreed that the Shrike was the most likely thief, but beyond this, there was little to add. I don't suppose we'll know the whole truth until it is caught and questioned. However, the important thing is that the pearl is again with Pisella. Now we must let Aquarius know where I am and about the pearl. Do you have any signalling mirrors? Oh, no, she said, laughing. We prefer the old ways. We will send word with one of our gulls. Now let's go to the lagoon. It'll be better for Pisella there, too. He was glad to be outside. He could dry off properly and the surroundings wouldn't move so much. Pisona helped to remove him of his sopping wet coat, whilst Pisella gathered a little seaweed to chew. It contained many minerals and would help to replenish her vigour. She was still weak and moved even more languidly than usual as she bathed in the lagoon. He explained about the scorching of his natural fleece by the transforming fire and that the black coat was a much-treasured gift from Capricorn, which had served him well. Pisona laid it flat upon some rocks to dry. It sounds like you've endured a terrible ordeal, she said sympathetically. Oh, I have, I have, he agreed. But thankfully I survived to tell the tale. To his great relief, he realised that his natural fleece had begun to regrow. But something was different. 
Pisona found a misplaced mirror among the rocks. The Pisces were always misplacing things, and held it up for him to see his reflection. Pisella came to join them. He could hardly believe his eyes. Apart from his fringe and the lock of curls at his throat, his once beautiful black fleece was now the colour of the sun. I'm golden, he cried. Ah, well, that's a transformation, said Pisella nonchalantly. He smiled and agreed that's exactly what it was. He told them more about his experience in the labyrinth and his climb inside the mountain, how he found Sagittarius. Then their exciting journey to Capricorn and how much he had learned and enjoyed from his time on the peaks. Then they howled with laughter when he recounted his tumble down the mountainside and Aquarius's reaction to the live snowball. In an odd way, said Pisella, smiling, feeling very much better, you are a new life form, if not quite what Aquarius had expected. <laughs> I mean, you are your new self, different from the Aries who had left the headland. Oh, that's true, added Pisona. Because of your travels, you've grown from that one essential aspect of yourself and have come much more besides. Much more besides? Yes. He liked their words, remembering his meeting with Leo and reflecting how pompous he must have sounded then. Now it rang true, because he'd gathered a different awareness from each of the realms. He had matured and knew himself better, had come to acknowledge his weaknesses as well as his strengths. It was approaching midday and the tide was flowing in. The isle was soon surrounded by the ocean. Pisella said she felt strong enough to take a gentle swim around the rock, that the exercise and a small foray into their beloved ocean, beyond the reef that enclosed the lagoon, would strengthen her more. Ares declined to join them, preferring to climb to the cliff top and look out to sea. He found a grassy hollow where he could sit comfortably and enjoy the views. Time was healing his feelings of remorse about leaving the headland. The pain was not so acute as it had been in the labyrinth, or when with Capricorn. A lot has happened to me since I left, and whoever in the headland has survived the earthquake, they've done so without me, he told himself. Life there will be different now. Perhaps I've no place in it, he thought, feeling a little downhearted. Sighing deeply, he tried to sort the muddle of his thoughts and feelings about the headland and his clan, and his ever-present quest to follow the sun. I can't go back. It's pointless. It will only disturb things, he concluded, resigning himself to thinking that any survivors of the clan must believe he had perished in the hills or in the earthquake. I must go forward. It's the only way. This, after all, was his true nature. He watched the Pisces return, fascinated as Pisona jumped, dived and glided through the surf. Pisella was trailing, swimming well but at a gentle pace. He was impressed by her resilience and power of recovery. She had seemed so weak such a short while ago. He wondered what he might learn from their watery realm, other than sensing the pain of others and being a little more modest about his accomplishments. He ran to join them on the shore in the bay. Oh, tell me about the ocean. What lies beyond its horizon? Can I follow the sun there? 
They looked from him to each other, and it was a long moment before Picella spoke softly, as though in a trance. Far out to sea, all you see is the sea. The horizon moves and is all around you. The ocean is dangerous, the waves are high. Walls of water fill the sky. Far out to sea, it's so easy to... But we can dive to the quiet depths below. This is our realm, interjected by Zona quickly as she pulled her sister closer too. There are many different landscapes under the ocean, and these shift and change with the ebb and flow of the tides. We are sensitive to and move with the subtle changes and moods of our environment, and we have our pearls to guide us against danger. But how would you survive? Her tone was more earthy and practical. Ares was crestfallen. Horizons moving, walls of water, shifting landscapes. This realm was the strangest, most daunting place he'd encountered. But thoughts of turning back, retracing his steps, went against his fibre. There must be a way, he said, mustering determination, not at all sure he believed his own words. Oh, he almost forgot. We must send word to Aquarius about the pearl, cried Pisona, and summoned one of the gulls. Please stay for supper. Aquarius will join us and will try to find a way to help your plight, said Pisella gently, sensing his confusion and apprehensions about travelling on. Feeling tired from such a late night with Aquarius and the excitement of the morning, he needed a nap. He returned to the grassy hollow on the cliff top, while the Pisces retired to the grotto to rest. Trying not to dwell on his feelings of uncertainty and the challenge of the sea, he wondered what the Pisces had quarrelled about. He would ask them more about it over supper. Aquarius was in a cranky mood. No stranger to irregular hours, he often stayed up late, sometimes worked throughout the night, but then would happily sleep until sundown the next day. Being virtually dawn before he'd got to bed today, he was not pleased to be roused by the din of impatient messengers squawking at his door in the early afternoon. Also, there was no sign of Ares, who was obviously up and about and who could have otherwise answered the calls. No, all right, all right, he shouted above the bird's babble. First come, first heard. A stately raven stepped forward, complaining it had been waiting since early morning with urgent word from Capricorn. Do not speak with Pisces. Ares has misinformation. His cargo was lost in the labyrinth. I'm on my way to you, Capricorn. Second spoke the robin. Grave news. Join me at Scorpio's as quickly as possible. Libra. Oh, this is confusing, said Aquarius, puzzled and began pacing the veranda. Ares' cargo lost in the labyrinth? He deducted this meant the pearl. But wasn't it supposed to be with cancer? And what was this dilemma with Libra? From what the ram had told him, Sagittarius had departed the peaks to collect the gems and would, of course, have relayed the news that Ares is safe. It flashed to mind that Libra had found himself snowed in at Scorpio's, which Aquarius would consider reasonably grave, and wished to use his flying machine to glide swiftly over the snowdrifts back to his villa. Now, should he leave for Scorpio's realm to rescue Libra? But Capricorn was on her way here, so he must wait before he could leave. And where is Ares? Oh, communication, communication, communication! He was feeling agitated and short-tempered by these demands on his time. He had work to do. 
Because of Aerie's surprise visit, he hadn't finished the assaying of his powders for his grand finale of fireworks for the forthcoming celebration. On further questioning, Robin admitted that its news was a few days old due to bad weather, therefore it may be out of date. Raven confirmed that Capricorn's message was sent at first light, so Capricorn will be arriving at any time. At that moment a gull flew in, bearing the good news from the Pisces and inviting him to supper. Aquarius pondered for a moment, then with a flash of insight, he knew what to do. Raven, fly with haste to Scorpio's realm. Inform Libra and Scorpio that the pearl is found and home. All is well. He would finish creating his fireworks while waiting for Capricorn. Hopefully Serge had now got the firebright gems to the peaks and may be with her. If the centre came along with Capricorn, they could all go and visit the Pisces this evening. Excellent. After a bite of food, the messengers went their ways. Robin was glad to be off the hook and would remain in the Aquarius domain amid the pretty buried bushes around the lake. Aquarius was just packing powder into his last batch of sky rockets as Capricorn arrived. She was overjoyed to hear that Picella was reunited with her pearl and related what she knew about Scorpio's part in it all. She and Serpentis will surface soon to receive the good news, Sag will be there also, waiting with Libra. Good that you dispatch the raven rather than the robin with the message. Robins are pretty little birds, but prefer to stay in their own territory and not carry messages here and there. But back to the pearl. It must have been hidden well. I never saw so much as a trace of it on his person, which is why I was so sure he didn't have it. Well, we all make mistakes sometimes, he soothed realising his insights to the recent messages were a bit askew, but he knew she would take being wrong quite to heart. At least there's been an excellent outcome, Cap. She was grateful for his kindness, saying, Now all we have to worry about is the fate of Ares' clan and the water flow onto the great fire. You can't shed any light on that, can you? She looked at him with one of her serious tell-me-all expressions. Well, I'll do my best, he said airily deliberately fobbing the question to avoid explaining his explosive adventure out at sea. It might mean another explosion is necessary to seal the leak. From what Ares had experienced, it seemed there is a leak from a fissure of some kind. These things happen. Whilst Aquarius was honourable in accepting his responsibilities, he wanted to be very sure the fissure was the result of his actions before declaring he'd had any part. Over a late lunch, they enjoyed convivial conversation about recent events. But rather than go to visit the Pisces, now that all was well, Capricorn decided it was better that she return home. She had preparations to make for the celebration, which was now less than three days away. They agreed that it should be held in the realm of Sagittarius, as was customary, and she would inform the others that it was business as usual. He accompanied her a little way up the mountain track, and amongst other provisions for the celebration, gave her some of his fireworks and coloured powders to keep safe. The powders are for Sarge. I will try to bring more. Then bidding her farewell, he left the trail to stand on a rock shelf protruding from the mountainside. She stood and watched as he strapped himself into his winged contraption, as she called it. I really must have a go at that one day soon, she promised herself, and gave him away as he launched himself skywards. To the beach and Pisces, he cried, as a gust of wind filled the large sail and lifted him into the air. 
He loved his flying machine. It was his favourite innovation, and he was soon transported over the marshes and woodlands to the isle, scattering a few gulls as he made his zigzag landing. Ares and the Pisces were chatting inside the grotto. The sisters sat companionably arm in arm, listening to the tale of his adventures, thoroughly enjoying and encouraging his animated recount. He was moved by their sisterly love for each other and was proud to have been the bearer of the pearl. But whilst he didn't want to spoil their reconciliation, he simply had to know. I don't want to be rude, but what did you quarrel about? It must have been important to involve something as precious as the pearl. Oh, perhaps I can answer that, called Aquarius, wreathed in smiles as he entered the grotto. He was elated to see the sisters happy again, but he knew the Pisces might skirt around the detail in relating the tale. However, before I do, I must congratulate you on your absolutely fabulous new fleece. Dazzling! Leah will be highly impressed when we attend his next extravaganza. Also, I can give you an explanation about Scorpio's part and the incident in the grove. It's not how you thought. Ares was relieved all the misunderstandings had been cleared. I'm really looking forward to meeting Scorpio, though her realm scares me half to death. They all howled with laughter at his remark and he felt terrific. I brought something special to celebrate the return of Pycella's pearl. Virgo and I worked together to cultivate this perfect draught beamed Aquarius, producing a beautiful silver pitcher, richly inlaid with gold inscriptions of the constellations, filled to its brim with the finest sparkling wine. He poured generously into four gold and silver goblets. Here's to excellent outcomes. They all cheered the toast and drank. Oh, whoopee, oh, I love the bubbles, giggled Pycella. We will prepare a grand meal to complement this wonderful wine, said Paisana, feeling truly happy. While the Pisces busied themselves preparing food, Ares asked Aquarius about their quarrel. He wanted to know more about these peculiar fish who seemed to be indefinable to him. The Gemini were also two, but the twins seemed more of one mind. He felt the Pisces exuded a sense of duality. Without her pearl, Pycella could never safely enter her natural domain again. Her will to live was ebbing away. Because they're bound together, Pycella would have eventually perished too. Thanks to you, now no such tragedy will happen, began Aquarius. Oh, thank you, I understand that much. But how did they come to lose it? Patience, I'm coming to that, chided Aquarius as he poured more wine. The sisters are quite different, as you can see. Pycella is dark... Pycella is fair. While their natures encompass each other's qualities, they differ in expression. Pycella is quiet and reflective, can seem a little melancholy at times, but she is also quite practical. Whereas Pycella, by contrast, is more whimsical and frivolous. She can often become excitable and restless, but has a clarity of vision on occasions. Sometimes they are at odds and quarrel about which direction to set off in, often changing their minds and turning about to proceed another way. But both are imaginative and compassionate, forgiving of each other, so mostly succeed to agree as one. Their ocean realm is vast and seems without boundaries, but their pearls keep the sisters within safe waters, especially in the depths. However, one day, in the spell of a very restless mood, 
Pycella persuaded Pysona to venture beyond their pearl's warning navigation. Though fearful, Pysona allowed herself to be led. The ocean grew very dark and menacing, and both became afraid, but as they turned to retreat, a strong current caught them. They were being sucked into a vortex, an abyss. Sheer terror lent them just enough strength to fight against the terrible force, and eventually they managed to surface, struggling to survive in a turbulent sea. They had passed the point of exhaustion when a huge wave tossed them onto the shore of a floating island, landing them a distance apart, stretching their bond to its limit. But they were not yet safe. The island was a treacherous place. It was inhabited by shrikes and overrun with seductive fruits and berries, which, when eaten, caused delirium and ultimately death. The shrikes lured the seabirds to alight there to feed, trapping and killing their victims for food and morbid entertainment. When the Pisces were washed up, the Shrikes rejoiced. This was their chance to freely seize the Pisces grotto and cultivate their evil throughout the land, to cause chaos and destroy the realms. He sipped his wine. Ares patiently listened. He mused that there had, in fact, existed a sort of wing realm on that floating island. Aquarius continued... While Pysona remained unconscious, Pysella was being roused by the ringleader and was tempted to eat the fruit, little realising the dangers and sacrifice she was making with her health. When Pysona eventually came to and went to join her sister, she found Pysella had become delirious and estranged from her. She was rightly suspicious and refused to eat, quickly escaping danger by diving beneath the surface waters where the shrikes couldn't follow. Obviously, because of their bond, she couldn't stray too far from Pycella, and their captors, knowing this, were unconcerned about her disappearance, turning their full attention on her captive sister, who quickly became addicted and ill. They would deal with Pysona once Pycella was dead. Aquarius silently shook his head. He couldn't tolerate the barbaric activities of the Shrikes, their cruelty, greed and corruption serve no purpose but their own gratification. They created an environment of chaos where nothing could thrive or progress and eventually will cause their own destruction too. This latter thought, at least, brought some sense of just retribution. But why keep repeating their acts of destruction? When will they learn? He smiled warmly at Ares fully acknowledging the ram's strength and bravery in surviving the horrors caused to him by the greed of a shrike. He resumed his story. Naturally, Pysona was frantic, helplessly watching her sister worsen into delusion and disorientation. Their only hope was to get a message to me. She was able to arrest the attention of a seagull as it flew towards the island, warning it of the dangers before it was lured to eat. The gull duly reached me, urging me to their rescue, promising it would guide me to them. Thankfully, my boat was seaworthy, but I'd never sail far out on the ocean and will be eternally glad of that seagull's assistance. Fortunately, the weather held fair, and with a good wind we made excellent going. The Shrikes launched an attack on spotting our approach, but the gull had precipitated such action and had summoned a large flock ready to counter-attack. It was a dreadful, bloody battle, and while it raged above and around us, Pysona and I struggled to lift Pysella onto the boat. She had now become wildly hysterical, threatening to sever their bond, pulling at the twine, trying to rip herself free. That is when her pearl fell away and she fainted. 
Paisona deftly caught the gem and we were able to stow her sister safely aboard. More wine, more patience. The battle ended as a few surviving shrikes fled, but I doubt they got far since more seabirds joined in their pursuit. I never want to witness such scenes of mutilation and death again, much being the results and remains of the Shrike's inhabitation. Though we had won the day and helped the survivors of the Shrike's terror regime safely aboard, I decided to blow that evil place out of the water. It was a perfect opportunity for me to further test the power of my explosives, far from land where it could do no harm and only good in these circumstances. So Paisona placed the charges around the toxic island and when we were a safe distance away, I detonated them. It was the biggest blast you could imagine. The ocean erupted and for a short but scary time, I feared we might capsize and drown. When eventually we reached the grotto, Paisona hid Paisela's pearl among the rocks around the lagoon until her delirium had diminished and the addiction was cured. And you've told none of this to the collective, remarked Ares, recalling what Capricorn had told him about Aquarius's promise concerning his explosives. He was making a statement, not a criticism, and understood now why the Pisces had been less than forthcoming. Also why Aquarius was so interested in what the Shrike, obviously itself a survivor of this blast, may or may not have put abroad concerning the incident. He did the right thing, called Picella as the sisters rejoined them, laden with platters of seafood and vegetables. Of course we'd intended to report all, but had agreed not to do so until I was properly recovered. I felt deeply ashamed of my actions and couldn't bear anyone else to see my sickness, what I'd become. Pisona nursed me through those dark early days and perhaps, selfishly, I felt it would be easier for the collective to forgive me for placing first my sister and then Aquarius in such peril if they could see I was healing and that the threat of harm to the realms had been averted. Then my pearl went missing. Paisona felt so painfully guilty for not keeping it safe, but still I pledged them both to secrecy. It is strange, despite my worsening state, I held faith that one day it would be restored to me. She drifted into a dream for a moment, then just as suddenly returned. Besides, it was my recklessness and mine alone that was the real cause of the loss, and I couldn't bear for her to take any blame, nor for Aquarius to suffer undue reprisals. But what else should he have done? Left that place with its terrible blight? A place where only evil can thrive? As far as we are concerned, he's a hero, and she planted a kiss on Aquarius's cheek. Our hero of the silver jug. Can I have a top-up, please? And you are our hero too, Ares, our golden hero, mine especially. And she planted a kiss on him too. Oh, aren't we so lucky, Pisona, to have two fabulous heroes and both of them here? Oh, whoopee, I'm so happy. I really am back to my normal happy self. She was becoming a little tipsy from the wine. Now don't get too soppy, washy, grinned Aquarius, giving her an affectionate hug. The Pisces could get a little over-emotional, either too happy or too sad, especially after a draught of heady wine. The swells and depths of their realm makes them a little dippy sometimes, he said amusingly to Ares, who seemed mildly embarrassed by her sudden effusiveness. 
The ram couldn't recall feeling bashful before and reflected that this was, indeed, a realm of strange feelings. Uh, but who knows what chain reactions the explosion set in motion, though, put in Pisona plaintively, ever prone to guilty feelings. We must tell soon, the fissure and the underground lake, maybe the earthquake in Ares' realm. We know the ocean bed shifts, and that explosion was so... Oh, don't fret so, Pisona, urged her sister. Let's not talk about that now. You're spoiling things. All's well again. Aquarius groaned. He tried avoiding the possibility of the truth in what Pisona was saying. Nevertheless, What? Your stupid, reckless actions destroyed my realm? Ares stood and shouted at the company, furious and feeling protective of his clan and the headland once more. Oh, we don't know that for certain, retorted Pycella. Anyway, according to you, change was in motion before the earthquake. You had already left your clan. She suddenly felt quite sober and clear-headed. But for that earthquake, you would still be a prisoner in the crater. What good were you to your clan there? You'd forgotten they existed. The truth of her words stung him, doused his argument. He had to concede she was right. There was little point raking it all over now. It was done, and perhaps it was unavoidable, as Aquarius had said. Let me finish my tale, said Aquarius soothingly, feeling at once absolved of blame in the matter of the headland's plight, and very much better. As I was saying, Pisona hid the pearl for safekeeping until Pisella recovered, but she never did. Uh, not until now, that is, he raised his goblet to her. But a surviving shrike found the pearl and stole it, with the aim of carrying out their original plan of seizing the Pisces Grotto, concluded Ares on Aquarius's part, satisfied he now had the full story. Yes, affirmed Aquarius. It must have crept aboard and hidden while we were gathering the sick and injured from that island. Pisona wouldn't leave until we had rescued all that showed any glimmer of life. As it was, the majority died before we made it home. Though not given to displays of emotion... These were clearly sad and painful memories for Aquarius, who withdrew into a morose silence for a little while. Inside the grotto, the incandescent light of many candles reflected off the water. The scene was quite magical. After supper, the Pisces took up their flute and lyre and sat on the rock where Ares had first seen Pisona. Beautiful music filled the chamber, and the mood of the evening held enchantment. Although he felt reconciled about the earthquake, there was something elusive about the Pisces which disconcerted yet fascinated him. He decided that their fathomless realm would have to remain a fantasy for him. He intended to stay above the waves. Then he had an inspiration. Aquarius's boat! Yes! Perhaps he could chase that horizon after all. I saw a boat on your lake. Is that the rescue boat? He tried not to sound too obvious. Oh, good grief, no, laughed Aquarius. I use my sailing boat for the sea. It's moored here on the channel side of the island. After a short while, Ares said he was sleepy and stood to leave to bed down in the hollow again. Aquarius was happy to stay in the grotto and keep company with the sisters. Oh, sleep well, Ares. We must make our way to the mountains in the morning, he yawned. The celebration will take place the day after tomorrow. 
Ares bid his friends good night, but sleep was the furthest thing from his mind. I do quite like him, sighed Persona, once the three were alone. Oh, so do I, truly, agreed Pycella. But I hope he doesn't go blabbing at the celebration about the island and the earthquake and everything, you know. Oh, we all know, added Aquarius solemnly, that honesty is the best policy. However, however, there's a time and place for everything, giggled Pycella. Especially honesty, piped all three together, laughing raucously at the prospect of the Jew collector's reprimand for their collusion. You Pisces, chuckled Aquarius, you're such a comfort. But they agreed they must tell all at the next council after the celebration, for they also agreed that there was little point spoiling the celebrations with in-depth discussions about the fate of Shrikes. Once out of the grotto, Ares searched for the boat on the channel side of the islet. The tide had ebbed again, but the vessel was afloat in the low water, tucked away in an inlet. Despite his inclination to go it alone, he knew he would need help to set sail. He must persuade Aquarius to show him how to handle things. I need help to sail your boat to follow the sun. Such a direct approach took the company quite by surprise. I can't return to the mountains, even if there is the celebration. Everyone will try to persuade me to turn back, to go home. But I must go on, not lose sight of my goal. Will you help me? Aquarius studied the ram with a mixture of curiosity and admiration. Ares was fueling the rebel in him. He wanted to share in this adventure. The Pisces huddled together expectantly, They'd had more than an inkling what was on Aquarius's mind and would back him no matter what. Also, such a venture would enable them to go safely to the farthest reaches of their ocean. Ares' quest would make their dreams a reality too. Aquarius considered his options. He would be going against all convention to miss the celebration, though surely he would return eventually. He thought about the dilemma with the transforming fire. It couldn't diminish completely for quite some time, and besides, Scorpio had to find the source of the leak before he could do much about it. Then there was the matter of his investigations into the labyrinth. Well, they could wait a while too, and surely this adventure into the unknown was as much of an experiment. Sagittarius at least would be pleased. Yes, I will help you. But I'm proud of my craft and will not trust anyone else to sail her. Are you saying you'll come with me? Ares was astonished and thrilled. Yes, came the decisive reply. Oh, how fabulously exciting, exclaimed the sisters over the moon that Aquarius was breaking his mould. Oh, he will help too. We will navigate as far as we can. They spent the next day preparing for their journey and stocking the boat with as many provisions as it could carry. Aquarius dispatched a message to Capricorn with one of the gulls, telling of their plan and promising to keep in touch, communications allowing. The Pisces took hold of the horses and guided the craft out into the channel to a good forward wind. Expect the unexpected, cried Aquarius in jubilation, as they set sail on the evening tide.
That was Marion Mente reading the Pisces chapter of her book, Follow the Sun. So, Marion, uh, we've got Aries travelling on with the companions of Aquarius and Pisces, and you're going to tell us about that adventure in the next podcast. But back to Pisces for a moment, because I'm intrigued by the grotto. You describe their grotto as having a high domed roof rising out through the top of the island itself. And around the dome, you've got 12 arched windows of coloured glass depicting each realm and their rulers. And that's the same as the tapestries in Scorpio's realm, I think. Now, to me, they conjure up the images of church windows. (laughs) Yes, well, good. It's meant to give an impression of the spirituality associated with Neptune and Piscean energy that I've spoken of. And during the Great Age of Pisces, which is now ending, since we're beginning the Great Age of Aquarius, Christianity with its cathedrals and churches has been one of the major movements around collective spirituality. Uh, And as I said in in the introduction, the symbolic formlessness of Neptune is also associated with gases and drugs and addiction, hence the Pisces misadventure onto the floating island of the Shrikes and their addictive berries. Ah, yes, yes, I thought I, I, I did get that. But now you've just mentioned the great ages leaving Pisces and into the age of Aquarius. Age of Aquarius reminds me of that song in Hair. Yes, this I won't is the sing dawning. it. I won't sing it now, but this yeah. is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. That's right. That was in the sixties. We yeah. heard about that. So, tell us about these long ages and how they come about. Well, our planet Earth rotates on its axis every twenty-four hours. Yeah, you understand that. Yeah. Well, the axis itself also rotates, and due to gravity and a complete rotation of that axis, it takes more than twenty-five thousand years. That's just over 2,000 years for each sign to, okay. to do the whole cycle. If you picture a spinning top, yes. at the top of it will form its own sort of cone. It's got its own cone. And it's travelling westwards, whereas we travel our circles eastwards. So it seems to go backwards through the signs. It's a bit complex. I know. And Essentially, people, each age lasts around 2,000 years. Each astrological age lasts around 2,000 years, give or take. So that must mean historically then we've been through several great ages. That's right. Which, do they have significance for us? Um, Yes, I think, I'm not an expert on this and more more people are, but my knowledge is sketchy or scant if you like, but I do have some. Um, The mayor and, and sort of many other cultures believed historical tendencies repeat themselves in cycles. And the purpose is to grow successively through consciousness. And there are key signs that growth is happening in humanity as a whole. This is talking about humanity as a whole rather than... And over very, very long timescales. Over very long timescales, exactly. In in very broad brushstrokes, the different great ages, as far back as we're able to document or see, seem to show significators of that particular age. I mean, as I say, my own knowledge is sketchy, so I've gleaned the following information from Spiritual Growth Prophecies by Sandra Musa. Okay, Mm. let's go back to the age of Leo. Now, that was, ooh, 
10,000 to 8,000 BC. Oh, you've been doing your sums then. I have been doing my sums. (laughs) So that's a very, very long time ago. Tell me about that. That was known as the Golden Age, the age of Leo, circa, as you say, 10,000 to 8,000 BC. The Sphinx appears to be created just prior to the beginning of the age of Leo, which is a lion, as we know. And Leo was the pre-dawn constellation in the eastern sky during the spring equinox at the hour before dawn where the sun rose at that time. Yes? Right, okay, okay. all the, right. The, the, the fact that the Sphinx is in the shape of a lion with a human head gives it a major astronomical significance because of the constellation. Yes. And the Sphinx gazes directly east where the constellation of Leo would have risen. Okay. Ah. okay, so going as you said, westwards, so we're going sort of backwards in the way we think of it. The next age was the age of Cancer. Right. This was roughly 8,500 BC to 6,500 BC. Tell me about that age. Well, it's the age of the Great Mother. The feminine was revered at this time as the creator of all life, birthing, nurturing and protecting. And this is the age of the goddess and it's ruled by the moon. And you can see lots of those characteristics within the the cancer archetype uh, cancer is a water sign and people started to realize the connection between the tides and the moon at this time and there's evidence of widespread use of boats representing cancer's water sign an increase in the making of pottery signifies the protective vessel which is one of cancer's archetypes this is really fascinating isn't it mm. oh so we move on to the age of gemini so that was 6,450 BC to 4,300. So we're getting nearer, aren't we? We're getting yeah, nearer to closer our age. today. Yeah. So the age of Gemini, <clears throat> tell me about that one. Well, it's the age of communication. Aha. <laughs> the twins. Trade and twins and duality. The role of men and women in reproduction was starting to be better understood. Okay. And uh, the transition was starting to move away from the feminine as the revered symbol. Uh, and language and symbols were coming into being, making this age uh, a time of writing. Trade between cultures started to accelerate, and the constellation of Gemini was seen of two people holding hands, which could have been symbolic for trade and communication as well as duality. The wheel was used for the first time for transportation. Wow! So that uh, so that six and a half thousand bc to four and a half thousand bc and then we move backwards to the age of taurus 4300 bc to 2150 we're really getting nearer our own age but this is the age of taurus bull worshipping cults began to form in assyria egypt and crete the building of pyramids began signifying the bull through solidity stability and attempts at eternity Figures on Egyptian pyramids and temples had bull's horns at this time. Avatars were now here. And there are more attuned individuals or spiritually realized people. Taurus is associated with the smelting of copper, tin and bronze. And Venus is about copper. And Venus rules Taurus. Swords came into being in the early phases of this era. Papyrus was invented, enabling improved writing techniques. And the sacred bull... The apis was the Egyptian symbol of life. And the followers of Moses worshipped a golden calf when he descended from the mountains with the Ten Commandments in this time period. 
You can find all sorts of coincidences, but they are there. Okay, and then we come to the age of Aries. Aries started 2150 BC and ends pretty much AD 1. Mm-hmm. The age of war, fire and the ram. Okay. People revered the sun in Egypt and Aries represents fire symbol as well as bold actions. The ram is the patriarchal society of butting heads. This age is known for courage, initiative, war and adventure. The Chinese, Persian, Greek and Roman empires expanded during this age. Aries is associated with the metal iron, which was smelted and made into swords at this time, replacing the bronze. Uh, There was an upsurge in originality with the development of the sciences and the arts. The earliest attempts at the idea of one god came into being with Archenhaten, you know, an Egyptian pharaoh, about 1350 BC, when he decreed that the sun god Aten as a supreme deity. And so then we come to the age of Pisces. Ah, yes, and the fall of Rome came at the beginning of the age of Pisces and with the birth of Christianity. Along come the disciples, the 12 disciples, the loaves and the fishes, etc. And, of course, the sacrifice of Christ as as denotes in Christianity. Uh, But during the age of Pisces, we were told what to believe through religions, authority figures and dictators. And these powers have been losing ground and the shift is towards the power over self as we're now moving into being through... um, the age of Pisces and the present transition from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius encourages us to look beyond the five senses and experience true living by relying on our guidance from within. I mean, I I think Aquarius will be an age when we truly realise that the love we show towards our brothers is the love we feel towards ourselves. And whilst these are Sandra Muller's words, if you like, it's very much, I'm in, in sympathy or in empathy with them. We will finally know the true meaning of progress, you know, eventually. In the Aquarian age, progress will represent decisions or activities where all things and people gain from the change. As we have done from the web. People have gained greatly from the web. Yes. Uh, That sounds impossible. It's not. It's happening. And again, what Miss Muller says is that we will finally know we are not victims of circumstances, but the creators of our experiences. We're also the ones to change our earthly situation. And the focus will be on making our lives a heaven on earth. The age of Pisces, if you like, opened a window, going back to the windows, opened a window to further our spiritual understanding And in her words, now that Aquarius is taking hold, we may just come to know that we are the Christ we've been waiting for. Marion, that's powerful stuff. And it makes me think how small we are under these enormous time spans. Well, exactly. And uh, astrology, as I said before, we're part of 100 billion planets in the Milky Way alone. And astrology might be a primitive language that's linking us out to our universe where we can personally relate to the planet rather than just as an abstract idea out there. But it does fulfill our feeling of being part of a greater thing. Religions, various religions have tried to do that, but it has to come from within yourself. And I think perhaps that's where astrology is now. There's been a resurgence in kind of finding that own direction. What a good place to leave it.
Thanks, Marion. Our next and final offering will be the 13th moon, where Marion will read the final instalment of Follow the Sun, the chapter entitled New Beginnings. We'll also have a chance to recap on one or two aspects we've talked about during the series and tie up Aries' journey. Follow the Sun was written by Marion Mente. The podcast was produced and presented by me, Pomi Harmer, and this was a Black Pearl production.